Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Jumping on a couple minutes late here, not too bad. How's everybody feeling today? Hopefully everybody's doing well. I guess I'll jump right in to my topic, something I've been thinking about um, this weekend. Uh, really since, I guess, since last week's Sunday Morning Live with uh, LMNL. If you haven't <clears throat> watched that, if you didn't watch last week's uh, live video, I'd encourage you to check it out. <clears throat> did an interview with Ellen, and uh, it was just uh, it was an incredible conversation. But one of the themes that kind of jumped out at me in that <clears throat> conversation was this idea of integration, integrating our inner parts, internal integration, and why that is a struggle for us. And I'll explain a little bit more in depth what I mean. But I've been thinking about why is that such a struggle for us, and that really, especially those of us that come out of any form of religion, toxic faith, um, Christianity, let's just start with this. Christianity, as a general rule, <clears throat> teaches disintegration of the self. Now, when I'm talking about integration, I'm talking about something that works together, that isn't at war, isn't divided. Disintegrated would be the opposite of that. And so it's very easy to go into many different passages in the Bible to see how this disintegration was taught to us. Romans 8, which used to be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible to meditate on and to read. Um, you know, just read Romans chapter 8. Read Galatians chapter 5. Read the Sermon on the Mount, for that matter. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about the verse in the book of Revelation where Jesus talks to one of the churches. I can't remember which one it is right now, and I didn't look it up. But he says, I have this against you, that you allow that woman Jezebel to teach my people to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. I think it says in there. And then Jesus, this is Jesus, this is the Christ represented in the book of Revelation, says, I will throw her children into a sick bed. I will, I will put sickness on them. And then he says, I am the one who searches the mind. And basically, I judge you according to the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And this is really a big problem with the Sermon on the Mount as well and with the teachings of Jesus and, you know, throughout the Old Testament. But for the most part in the Old Testament, except for a few verses, passages here and there, for the most part in the Old Testament, your, it, it's behavior oriented and it's ethically driven in terms of how Israel was supposed to live together <clears throat> as a community. That's why after they get released from slavery, at least according to the story, Moses goes up on the mountain and Moses receives the the teaching or Moses receives the law. And there are things there in the law about how they would distinguish themselves as a community from the communities around them, how they would be different in obedience to Yahweh, and also how they would live together harmoniously as a nation. 
So it was primarily directed at your actions and behaviors towards God and your actions and behaviors towards people. And we have to have that. Any society has to have that. Our society has laws. (coughs) Excuse me. Designed to protect the state uh, and designed to protect the community. It's about how we live together. And then you come over into the New Testament, and right off the bat, if you just start reading your Bible and you start with Matthew because it's the first book listed in the New Testament, you don't get very far that you get into the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus begins to address issues of the heart, or what we would call issues of the heart. So prime examples of this, Jesus says, you know, it is written, you shall not murder. That's a behavior. That's an action, right, that affects the community, that affects someone else. It's acting out here upon the world. Jesus says, but I say to you, if you call your brother a fool, if you get angry with your brother, or you call your brother a fool, that you're in danger of hellfire, and you'll be tried by the council. And then he goes on and he says, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. So same thing, right? Uh, that's a behavior. That's an action. But then he goes on and says, but if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, uh, that basically it's the same thing. And then we get over into the book of Revelation, and it says that God searches our minds and our hearts. <clears throat> and so there's this real shift from Old Covenant teaching to New Covenant teaching where the issues that are being addressed now are issues of the mind and issues of the heart. In other words, it's internal and not external. Before when it's, you know, committing murder, that's an external action and behavior it affects out here. Uh, adultery is an action and behavior it affects out here. The New Testament starts to look at what's inside of you, but not really for the purpose of integration, but for the purpose of legislation. And the same kind of legislating, even the analogy that Jesus uses. This behavior is legislated out here as an evil behavior. And if you have that evil intention in your heart, it's going to be legislated, even though you didn't act on it. If you lust after someone, it's legislated. If you get angry, it's legislated. I was talking to somebody this week, and they reminded me of this verse, very obscure verse in the book of Ephesians, I think, Ephesians chapter 4 somewhere. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And we would teach that to tell people, make sure you resolve your anger before you go to bed at night. Don't go to bed angry. Resolve your differences. You know, forgive. Here's another one. Forgiveness, right? Forgiveness gets legislated. If you don't forgive... Uh, those that sinned against you, then Jesus said, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. So, again, forgiveness, right? It's an issue of heart. So the Bible begins to highlight and address in the New Testament different issues of the heart. Then you get to Romans chapter 8, where it talks about this internal war that's on. The spirit is lusting or warring against the flesh, and the flesh is lusting or warring against the spirit, and we're supposed to put to death the deeds of the flesh, man put on the new, we're supposed to mind, Romans chapter 8 says here again, it's the, this internal thing, the carnal mind is in, is enmity with God, it's an enemy of God, it cannot be subject to the law of God, 
and to be spiritually minded is life and peace, to be carnally minded death. So it really, these teachings, if you internalized these teachings, then it automatically is creating a war within yourself. It's automatically creating legis- internal legislation, sort of inward prosecuting attorney, if you will. We have this inward judge that's trying to keep us in because the idea is if we can legend our own emotions, what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our body, we can get those things in line, then we'll be right with God, right? We'll be right with God. We hear that a lot in churches. Get get right with God. And so it begins this sort of unhealthy analysis, this unhealthy, literally, excommunication of various different parts of us in favor of what the Bible declares or the preachers declaring or our church system or denomination is telling us is the spirit, is telling us is spiritual. And then, you know, it, it gets even worse in some of the systems that I was brought up in, not as a child, but later on early in my Christian formation, the discipleship group that I got involved with, you know, really got hung up on this spirit, soul, and body teaching. Anybody ever um, (laughs) mess with that, hear that, try to apply that, you know, your spirit. I can hear one teacher not too far from me here in Colorado that used to always declare, you know, when you get born again, your spirit gets perfected. You're one-third wall-to-wall God, he would say. But then you have to deal with your soul and body, and the soul and body, by presupposition and by not even a covert presupposition, but by overt, we, we were overtly taught that, um, the, I, I guess that the body was evil, I'm not really sure, because we would use the term the flesh, you know, the flesh warring, and so, you know, I guess, you know, we were taught fasting and certainly taught to rein in our sexual urges and sexual desires. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what we were supposed to do with the body necessarily. We more hung up on the soul. <clears throat> and we were told the soul was the mind, will, and the emotions. And, and so the idea is the spirit is perfected and then the mind has to be renewed. Oh yeah, somebody says bring it under submission. That's right. Yeah. Wall to wall Holy Ghost. Yeah. You're one third wall to wall Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit fills your spirit. Your body needs into subjection, needs to be brought into submission to the spirit. And then the mind, which simply meant, um, cognitive cognitions, um, the left side of the brain, you could say. The inner self-talk, the way that we think, the way that we believe, to conform that, the image of Christ, and we do that by conforming it to the Word of God, by believing and confessing and affirming and repeating to ourselves so that we're repetitiously thinking thoughts that are in alignment with the Word of God. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
The weapons of our war, listen to these metaphors, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he says what strongholds are. He says casting down imaginations and every vain thing and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul is clearly teaching that we need to be at war with ourselves, that we need to be at war with our minds, that our minds need to be renewed, that our thoughts need to be brought into captivity. And then as far as emotions go, um, your emotions were basically liars. Uh, you know, especially if you came out of the faith movement, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. My emotions are lying to me. My emotions are not telling me the truth about myself or the truth about the situation. So I need to basically uh, mortify those things, put those things to death, crucify those things, stuff like that. So definitely this, this imagery of that, right? So that causes a lot of disintegration. That causes a lot of us. I mean, we, we have to self-monitor. If you're going to cast down strongholds and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, then you're, you have to self-monitor. You have to monitor those thoughts. You have to monitor those feelings. You have to monitor those emotions. And those thoughts and those feelings, those emotions, those urges uh, are um, completely and 100% the enemy. So we internalized the enemy. We internalized the enemy. We made ourselves the person that we were the enemy, and then we would go to Bible study, we would go to prayer meetings, we would do our daily devotional. I can't tell you how many times I talked to Christians, uh, and immediately first thing out of their mouth was, well, I haven't been in the Word lately, or I haven't been uh, meditating on the Word as much as I should be, or that was pretty much the extent of pastoral counseling. Pastoral counseling was, well, just meditate upon the Word, know who you are in Christ, conform yourself to the image of Christ, and everything will be fine. Can you see how I'm belaboring the point, but I want you to really see how this leads to incredible disintegration. And this honestly was one of the first things that I saw. Uh, so, you know, my deconstruction story, it's its complicated. My relationship with God, it's complicated. Uh, but I, you know, I saw this early on when I took some psychology classes and I realized that from the perspective of mental health, at least, the idea is to become whole. The idea is to become integrated with yourself. To become, Carl Jung would call it individuated. And that we create all kinds of psychic warfare. And by psychic, I just mean internal in the psyche. The word psychic comes from the word psyche. And the Greek word psyche, it comes from the Greek word uh, suke, which is the word for soul that's translated in the New Testament. So, Suke, psyche, psychology, things like this. We are, we're in constant psychic conflict with ourselves. And this is one of the things that really, I, I, I looked at that when I was taking my psychology courses and I thought, wow, when we teach people this, now I, I, I wasn't at the place that I could say the Bible was doing this yet. I, I was still working that out. To me back then, the Bible was still the word of God. It was still the, playbook for life. It was still the best way to go, right? But I saw that 
when we emphasize this evil nature or we emphasize that our nature is evil, even when it isn't evil, <laughs> um, it creates all kinds of interior conflict so that we become very fragmented. We become very disintegrated. And so when you're disintegrated, when you're fragmented within, it's impossible to operate with any kind of integrity. The word integrity comes from integrate. It comes from integer, to be whole, to be whole, to be connected. It, we would use it to mean, you know, that you just tell the truth about the facts of a situation or that you keep your word. A person of integrity keeps their word. They say they're going to do something and they follow through with it. A uh, person of integrity tells the truth about what's going on out here or about circumstances in life. But to have real integrity is to be connected within, connected to your heart, connected to your being, connected to your core self. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, uh, that self does never, never becomes fully formed. <clears throat> and when you're walking around, with a self that has never been fully formed and stable and established on the inside, then you have no choice but to act in very codependent fashions. You have no choice but to become very much a people pleaser. Because the self that you have, if you're alienating parts of yourself from yourself, like we did in the spirit, soul, and body teaching, like we did in the walking after the spirit and putting to death the, the lust of the flesh, then you you cannot be in the world in any kind of integrity because you have to adopt a self that is being handed to you and that self is being handled handed to you in two two primary ways that self is being designed custom designed and handed to you by the scriptures themselves by saying you need to become who you are in Christ you need to uh be conformed to the image of Christ, again, Romans 8, or sociologically, from a social perspective, you're being given a self because you have to believe certain things to belong to the group. You have to do certain things to belong to the group. And we all need to belong to a group. We all need social acceptance. We all need that kind of stuff. And so, in the meantime, our self is disintegrating, and it's no wonder that we have so much problem being at peace or being happy or um, manifesting, being loving, being compassionate, passionate, manifesting the fruit of the spirit. Now, here's the other thing. When you're disintegrated, you're you don't have a fully formed inner self that's whole or that at least a core self. So. You're not in touch with yourself <laughs> and you're not listening to your emotions. You're not listening to your intuitions. You're not listening to your bodily sensations. I forget the term for it. There's a technical term for it where your body will react or respond in situations. You'll tense up. Um, your heart may beat a little bit faster. Your breathing may get a little faster if you get, you know, anxious or you feel like there's a threat out there. Um, or you just get a gut instinct about something, you feel uncomfortable in a situation, your body feels uncomfortable, you feel a pit in your stomach, those types of things. We're taught not to listen to those things because those don't have 
value, right? So when we're so totally disintegrated, then the only self that we have is the self that we have fashioned in our social circles. In other words, uh, we all edit ourselves, and we should. We should. You sh- it's, it's not healthy for you to go around with a filter, and you. It's, it's probably not wise to have the same level of self-disclosure with every person that you meet or every person that you come across. So there's nothing wrong with editing yourself and your behaviors and the way you present yourself depending upon the social situation. But when that's all you have (laughs) is the edited self. That's the only you that you know is the edited self. The only you that you know is the social self. The only you that you know is the self that fulfills a certain role. I know myself as a husband. I know myself as a father. I know myself as a Christian. I know myself as a counselor. I know myself as uh, a pastor. If you're a woman, you know yourself as a wife or as a mother or whatever your profession is. Take on various different roles, whatever your role in the community is. And it's okay to play those roles. It's important to play those roles. It's important to fulfill those roles as long as you don't confuse those roles with who you are. And so one of the hardest things to do or one of the most important things to do, I keep saying this and emphasizing this over and over and over again, anytime that you come out of any kind of an abusive situation, whether it's an abusive relationship, whether it's an abusive work relationship, uh, you know, a toxic, hostile work environment, or whether it's religious trauma, there, there needs to be work done to repair the self, to repair the psyche, to reintegrate those parts of your self. And a lot of people don't know this, and a lot of people don't take time to do this, And so one of the things that we can do as a substitute is become a crusader for whatever our message is now. And so we go out and we just, you know, condemn everybody else. There's sort of this narcissistic self-righteousness that comes across. I know I went through this phase. I was just going through my some of my memories from Facebook this morning and and I remember those times when I would get on these Facebook rants and some of it was so cringy. You know, some of you if you've stuck around with me all this time, you know, I apologize for some of those cringy Facebook posts that I used to put up a few years ago, but I was working this stuff out and it was spilling over. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I never you know, I, I before especially before the pandemic, Facebook for me was therapy. It was a way for me to just kind of rage from my computer or workout issues from my computer. Now you can judge me for that. That's fine. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, looking at that like, wow, those are some really cringy posts. But when you're not integrated, it spills out and it becomes divisive. If you have an other within, let's do it this way. If you have an other, an enemy within you, then you can't help and you hate that enemy that's within you then you can't help but see those parts of yourself in other people. If you have an enemy within you and you see other people acting out in ways that you don't have the same freedom to act out because it's human, because it's normal, because it's who we are as human beings, but you see things 
in other people that you hate about yourself, if you hate it about yourself, of course you're going to hate it about that other person. And if you're constantly at war with yourself, then of course you're going to constantly be at war with someone else's. If there's an other inside of you, then you're constantly going to be attacking and coming at the other that you see that resembles that or represents that that's outside of you. And so a lot of this strife and this division really just comes from the toxicity of this teaching, this spiritual practice that instead of integrating you, instead of bringing you wholeness, instead of helping you to find your core self and integrate with your core self and develop a healthy self, uh, instead of that, it does the exact opposite. And so one of the hardest things to do is coming out of that, it's not like, I mean, you can see that the doctrines are wrong, you can get hurt in church, you can get out of a relationship, you can get yourself out of the environment, in other words. You can take yourself out of the environment that has created certain internal structures for you and never address the internal structures. Never do the work to address those internal structures. Never find a core self and never integrate those parts of you that you have been so much at war with, those parts of you, those emotions, those feelings that you have, your own humanity, basically. Like the message is humanity is at odds with God, humanity is sinful, humanity is alienated from God, and so we need to become something other than human. We need to become born again. Now, I don't think everything in the Bible is teaching that. In fact, I think, like, I'm just thinking this because when Jesus was talking about being born again, I think there's a spiritual principle there that can be applied. But that's not how we used it. You have to be born again because you're rotten to the core. Humanity's rotten to the core. You're human. So, of course, we're going to have all kinds of struggles. So the trick, then, is to learn how do I integrate and what is my core self now just understand like this is one of the hardest things and can be one of the most frustrating things for people is to look inside and find a disintegrated self or to look inside of themselves and have no real sense of self have no real sense of who you are and then like we we gravitate gravitate towards uh i i call them platitudes like <clears throat> you need to love yourself now th- there's a language problem in there you need to love yourself well who's the you that's giving the love and to what part of yourself and what about the part that's giving love does that part need to be loved like how does that work you need to respect yourself well if you don't have a sense of self how can you respect yourself you need to be your authentic self. Well, if you don't have a sense of self or yourself is scrambled eggs inside or is disintegrated, then how do you do those things? And so for a lot of people coming out of religion, then that can just become another law that we try to keep, that we feel guilty about or that we feel upset over. And <clears throat> so that can be a very, very frustrating thing. But realize that, Even if you go inside and you feel like there is no self, even if you go inside and you feel like 
there's a very fragmented self, a very wounded self, a very broken self, a very evil. Even if you go inside and you feel like there's a very evil self, um, you can develop a self. You can develop a core self coming from within. Now, I believe everyone has a core self, but not everyone has access to the core self. So what's the, what, what, what am I talking about when I'm talking about the core self? I'm talking about a self that knows itself to have intrinsic worth, intrinsic value, and is loved by the creator. This core self isn't so easily rattled. It's full of compassion. It's non-judgmental. It's very curious. Uh, and that core self, even if it's not fully developed, is stable. And then, in addition to having a core self, we have all kinds of internal parts, inner parts, that are tasked with roles. And most of these roles are defense mechanisms. Most of these roles are defense mechanisms. So the braggarts, the, the one that likes to brag and boast, that self is putting a wall or a barrier between me and someone else as a safety mechanism. The angry part is a coping or a safety mechanism. The scared and frightened part is a coping or a safety mechanism. The people pleaser is a coping or a safety mechanism. The controller, you know, the one that has to control other people, that has to control the environment in order to self-regulate, that's a defense mechanism. And so really what Christianity did was it got us to abandon the core self, in, in a lot of cases, not in every case. In some cases, people would identify their core self as the Christ within them. But still, to understand that Christ, they would look at Jesus or they would look at the Bible. They wouldn't just let that self out. You see what I mean by that? But for a lot of people, and you don't have to be a Christian to do this, for a lot of people, a hunt, they're so alienated from their core self that they spend 100% of their time <laughs> uh, being driven out of that core self and living in defense mechanisms. I think this is the story metaphorically, mythologically, symbolically of Genesis, of the Garden of Eden, that the Garden of Eden represents that core self where the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, the masculine part of you and the feminine part of you, um, are naked and not ashamed. And once we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's separation, there's division. Now there's fig leaves. Those fig leaves represent defense mechanisms. And you can see it right away. Uh, deflection is a defense mechanism. You know, God comes to Adam and says, where are you? And Adam says, the woman that you gave to be with me, he, he, he projects. He deflects, 
he points the finger back at God. No, this isn't my fault. This is your fault. If you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have been in this situation to begin with. And then um, the woman blames the serpent, right? And then they're excommunicated from the garden. They're alienated from the garden or alienated from their core self and have to go out then and there's, you know, struggle by the sweat of your brow. You're going to make things grow, etc. And then I think this theme is picked up again, at least the way I see it, the way I look at it. I think it's picked up again in the story of Cain and Abel. Yeah, you have to assume, or I'm assuming from the text, and I think there's good reason to assume from the text. I've done a lot of teaching on this. I don't want to belabor this, but that Cain and Abel were uh, twins. And <clears throat> Abel's name means a vapor, <laughs> And Cain's name means possession. And there's a conflict there. There's a war there, right? And Cain kills Abel. And it says that Cain ventured into the land of Nod. And it has to do with the head in the Hebrew. And so there's further alienation there from the core self because of the guilt, because of the shame. And he has to wear a mark on his forehead, right, so that other people don't kill him. I mean, the the stories make absolutely no sense from a literal standpoint, but from a mythical standpoint, from a standpoint of something that can speak to us about the human condition, I think there's a lot that we can glean from that. And so for a lot of people, we're just alienated from our core self, and we spend all this time in so various different roles, social selves, or we spend a lot of time in our... um, uh, defense mechanisms. And that's how we relate to people. We don't really know how to come and relate to people from the place of having a core self. So what I'm saying is that we're very complex <laughs> human beings. There is no one self. There are many selves within the self. And if we can accept this fact, there are many selves within the self. And the goal is integration of these selves, a cooperation, if you will, emerging, a mutual respect, a mutual cooperation. It's coming back to the garden, right? It's coming back to this place where we can be with ourselves as ourselves, naked and without shame. We can sit with ourselves and all of ourselves in a loving and compassionate relationship, free from judgment, naked and not ashamed. Let's see, Alan says, uh, puts a comment up here, very true. It feels like unwrapping the self, almost like layers of an onion to get to that emotional core. Great comment and great example. And that's really what we're after. We're after getting to that emotional core. And we have layers and layers and layers of protective mechanisms. We have internal parts that play the role of the protector to protect various different wounded selves. So we get wounded throughout childhood. We deal with hard things in childhood. We deal with traumas in childhood, uh, traumas in life, whatever the case may be. And sometimes we get a wounded child in there and then another part 
whose job is a defense mechanism to protect that wounded child. And so many people, sadly, can go through life just thinking that everybody's against them, that everybody's out to attack them. Um, and, you know, it's hard to argue with that when you, if you spend a lot of time on social media, <laughs> Uh, or just, you know, seeing how we treat one another in this day and age. We've lost some things like civility. We've lost some things like boundaries. And Oh, by the way, this is why boundaries are so important. Look, you can't set a boundary for yourself if you don't know yourself. And we really don't have the right to go around stepping over people's boundaries and crossing people's boundaries. We really don't have the right to do those things. Listen, we got enough to take care of within ourselves. Um, we don't need to be trying to help everybody else get sorted out. Sometimes that's just another defense mechanism. I don't want to look at myself, so I'm projecting onto other people and I'm trying to fix them when I haven't gotten to, like Alan said, that core emotional self. So where do we begin with this? The first step is to be aware of this, to be aware of that we're not a single integrated, fully integrated unit and that we have been at war with ourselves. And the first thing we need to do is set our intention. And this comes, again, from the core self, the executive self, some people call it, but setting an intention, you have a core self, even if you can't, don't have access to it or fully have access to it. You have a core self. You have a self that is intrinsically you, that is uniquely you, that is inherently valuable, that is inherently divine. I, I hesitate to call it divine because I don't want you to think it's something other than you because that just perpetuates more of the same Problem, but you set an intention to make peace with yourself, to be at peace with the parts of yourself that you've been fighting and warring with and that you don't like. You make a new contract with yourself. That was something Ellen and I talked about last week as well was these contracts. You make a new contract with yourself to say, I'm no longer going to war with parts of myself. And I'm going to be friendly to those parts, even those parts that I don't like. And this is where, coming back to the beginning of the talk, where it's really important not to legislate various different states of being. Now, it may not be the healthiest state of being. It may not be the most pleasant state of being. It may not be the most ethical state of being. Some of these parts that we have, some of these feelings that we feel, but they don't have to be our enemies because <laughs> they are us. They are parts of us. Have you, you guys ever made a mistake? Anybody on here ever made a mistake? Anybody on here ever mess up? Anybody on here ever have things that you did in your life that you regretted or act out in a situation that isn't me, that's contrary to who I am? In other words, you, you conducted yourself in a way that was contrary to your core values. Uh, and, it, and it caused harm, maybe caused harm to yourself or to someone else. Um, we all have. And the person that can't admit that 
is a person who's locked into some defense mechanism self where they can't take an honest look at those parts, those human parts of themselves to say, look, we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. And we, we might want to say, well, that wasn't me or I acted out of character. And that's probably true, but that was still a part of you. It was just a part of you that you weren't aware was there before. Part of you that you didn't realize that you had before. So the very first step is to become aware of this, become aware of the fact that you're very complex <laughs> and become aware of your own thoughts and feelings and various different aspects of the self and not being in enmity with those parts. Realizing that everything inside you is trying to do something positive for you. Everything inside of you, every emotion, every feeling, every bit of self-talk, even if it's nasty, nasty self-talk, right? Like if you've got a nasty part inside of you uh, that's telling you to go kill yourself, that's telling you how horrible you are, that's telling you what a burden you are, that's telling you that the world would be better off without you. Well, I would hope that you wouldn't act on that self. I would hope that through a therapeutic process, whether that's formal therapy with a counselor, whether that's some kind of coaching that you receive from someone with credentials that isn't going to make you worse, <laughs> or whether it's with a close friend. Um, but, you know, I would hope for you some kind of therapeutic process. You may have a part that tells you, you're a piece of crap, that you're a horrible human being, that nobody likes you, that nobody loves you, that you are incurable, that you are hopeless, that you're powerless. Well, that part isn't necessarily telling you the truth. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that these parts are good in the sense that they're promoting your well-being. But regardless, those parts, though they might be confused, though they might be totally disconnected from reality, though they may be just defense mechanisms, though they may be walking around in the dark, meaning there is no correspondence between what that part is saying to you inside of you and what's happening in the real world or how people perceive you. Uh, I think some of you would be shocked to find out that people perceive you very differently than those voices tell you that you are. So those voices can be lying to you. Those voices can be bringing you down. They can be promoting depression. They can even be promoting, like I said, suicide. And I would hope that you would understand that those parts are not telling you the truth and that you wouldn't act on those. <clears throat> However, as confused as those parts might be, as dishonest as those parts might be, as again, as detached from reality as those parts might, might be, there is a positive intention inside of those somewhere. Aaron, what could be the positive intention of 
this voice in my head that's constantly telling me how horrible I am and how awful I am. Well, you're an individual, so I don't know, but I'll try to give you an example. Um, for some people, that voice keeps their defenses up so that they don't let other people in. Because somewhere along the way they learned that other people cause pain. And if people really see who I am, they might hurt me. And so to keep my guard up, to make sure I don't let anybody in, I convince myself that I'm this evil, horrible person at heart. And if anybody ever sees the real me, they're going to run and head for the hills, right? Or if I let anybody in, they're going to hurt me. So this negativity keeps me from putting myself out there. It keeps me from taking risks in life. It can even keep me from taking ownership of my actions appropriately when I do hurt someone because instead of just fixing it, I just revert back into, oh, what a horrible person I am. And so that self is keeping me safe from all these perceived risks of putting myself out in relationships or putting myself out for opportunities or taking real ownership of what are the things perhaps that I have done to hurt other people that I don't want to take ownership of. So it's, it's a process. <laughs> it's a process. And I would encourage you <clears throat> to find someone to go through this process with. It can be a very difficult process to go through by yourself. For some people, it's just therapeutic. If you go, if you do go to a counselor or if you do go to a life coach or, um, someone and you let down your defenses and you let them in and you find unconditional positive regard in that space, somebody that's holding for you unconditional positive regard no matter what comes out, it breaks down that lie that you have to stay in your defense mechanisms. It breaks down that lie that you're not lovable. It breaks down that lie that there are parts of you that are horrible and evil. (laughs) Um, So it is a process. But I think the beginning of the process is to realize, number one, you know, just take inventory. Do, Do I know my core self? Do I have access to my core self? Do I have access to what's happening within me? And then number two, are there parts of me that I hate? Are there parts of me that are at war with each other? Are, is there a part of me I wish I could just um, exercise out of me? Is there a part of me I just wish I could do some kind of emotional surgery, psychic surgery, and just get that part out of me? Recognize the enmity that's there. Recognize the disintegration that's there and make peace with that. And in making peace with that, make peace with yourself and realize, okay, there's parts of me that are not healthy. There's parts of me that are confused. There's parts of me that are lying to me, just flat out lying to me. And all of this is going on inside of me. There's parts of me that is accusing me. There's parts of me that are hypervigilant. There's parts of me that are afraid. There's parts of me that's a bully. There's parts of me that gets angry. There's parts of me that gets um, you know, I don't know, uh, boastful, prideful, arrogant. I need to feel superior to other people. 
I need to protect myself from relationships. You know, all those parts are there inside of me. And I'm not going to be at war with those parts. I'm going to listen to those parts. Not follow their advice, granted. (laughs) Not believe what they're telling me, for sure, when it's those negative voices. But I'm going to accept that those are parts of myself. And it might be helpful to realize that those are defense mechanisms. Those are introjects. A lot of the negative self-talk really isn't even a part of you in the sense that you created it. It's an introject. Somebody gave you a message. You got traumatized somewhere. You were criticized a lot. You had bad experiences socially growing up. Somewhere uh, somebody shamed you. Could be a religious introject. I did a teaching on this, a whole teaching on this um, in one of the lives uh, a few months ago. Um, so it, it, you might recognize that's not me. That's my mother talking or that's my father talking or that's an old school teacher or that's God. That's the voice of religion, whatever. That, that's an introject. An introject is something that you from the outside and you bring it on the inside, internal workings and your internal dialogue. Right. And then the last little bit that I would say here before before I go is about listening to your body, listening to your body, trusting your own intuition, trusting yourself to know yourself. You're the expert on yourself. Nobody knows you better than you know. This is picked up in Christian it makes people very, very vulnerable uh, to cultish type behaviors to gurus, to remaining in a place where you're taking responsibility and ownership for your own life. You cannot let someone come into your space and accuse you of things that aren't true and start navel-gazing and wondering, is this true about me? You just can't do that. Um, that would be to take on another interject. That would be to make it part of your psyche because you thought of yourself as less than. Right. So listening to your own voices and not necessarily the voices in your head, but what's coming from your body. I get invited to this party. I can't stand these people and I feel cringe inside. I'm literally cringing inside every time I'm around them. But I'm going to say yes to this party anyway, because I don't want to hurt their feelings. That does a lot of damage to the self. Because the self is saying, it's trying to watch out for you. It's trying to take care of you, right? So when you feel contrary to those feelings, you are betraying yourself. And there's no trail worse than self-betrayal. So to those being in touch, being in your body. Now, for some people, you, you, you can't do this because it's not safe for you in there. Um, if you have spent a lot of If you have a lot of complex trauma, and again, this is not mental health advice at all in the sense of clinical mental health advice. I'm just only speaking here. And it's at a different place. So I would encourage you. It'll be the best investment you ever made. You know, they're saying I can't afford 
therapy or I can't afford a coach. Think of if, if you get a good one. Now, again, the key is to find the right one. The key is to find somebody who's going to make you better, not worse. Somebody who's done the work so or at least knows the process or can at least hold non-judgmental space, unconditional positive regard. Um, but for some people, being in their bodies is very, very difficult because they have so dissociated because of how much trauma that they have gone through. So, again, you're the expert on yourself. You're the expert on your journey. I'm not here to tell you how to do your life. I'm just sharing principles. A lot of this comes from uh, a therapeutic modality known as internal family systems. And in internal family systems, we help you find the core self. And then from the place of that core self, as developed or undeveloped as it is, as much access as you have to it or not, um, everybody at least has some access to that core self. And then from that place of the core self, you begin to resolve the internal family conflicts. <laughs> uh, and you relate to these various different aspects of yourself in a way that's very passionate, that's very curious, very non-judgmental, holding each part with unconditional positive regard. Um, so anyway, I hope this was helpful. I'm going to look and see if I can see some of the comments here. Let me know if this was helpful for you. Um, Shannon Morris says, I did it mostly alone. I highly recommend a counselor. Um, yeah, so not a lot of comments with that. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this resonated with you guys, uh, if you found this to be helpful. Um, but I hope so. And uh, if you have any questions, put them in the comments. And uh, I'll jump on the uh, Facebook group, um, New Day Global Facebook group, and answer some of those questions this week, one evening this week. Um, if you haven't joined the Facebook group, uh, you might want to do that. If you're watching on YouTube, it's in my bio. If you're watching on Facebook, you can just type in New Day Global or go to my Facebook page in my groups. Um, and join there, and we'll we'll dialogue about this some more. If you find this kind of content is helpful for you. So if you find it helpful, please let me know in the comments because that feedback is really valuable to me. If you don't find it helpful, if you find that for you it's doing more harm than good, please let me know that as well because I really do value that feedback. So anyway, with that said, uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for watching my replay, and I will be with you next week.